Looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Very good morning and welcome to yet another interactive installment of the African Dialogue. You tuned in to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance and your gateway to Africa. My name is Zikana Miso and we're currently on the frequency 9625 kHz. That's on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Now today in the show we'll be discussing a very pertinent issue which I think a lot of the countries around the continent can, um, can relate to. That is of course the issue of food security on the African continent. But before we get into that, let's get an update from the news desk with Tracy Boomgaard. Thank you, Zekona. Making headlines this hour, Boko Haram's leader reportedly killed by Nigeria's military, Supporters of the wife of Madagascar's deposed leader threatens to protest against what they call an illegal court ruling barring her from running in this Friday's elections. And Egyptian security forces have reportedly shot and killed a journalist. Good morning. The leader of Nigeria's militant group Boko Haram may be dead. Nigeria's military says Abu Bakr Shekau may have died of gunshot wounds some weeks after a clash with soldiers. Past reports of Shekau's death have proved false and no independent confirmation has been obtained. Shekau has been blamed for a campaign of deadly attacks on security targets and churches across Africa's biggest oil-producing country. Shekau's last public contact is thought to be in a video on the 13th of August. The military says although the video looked and sounded like the same person in previous recordings, it was a fake. Supporters of the wife of Madagascar's deposed leader say they will take to the streets to protest against what they call an illegal court ruling, barring her from running in elections, threatening to bring more turmoil to the island nation. The Electoral Court on Saturday banned Laloa Ravola Manana and incumbent President Andre Rajalina from standing in the August 23rd poll, a ruling widely welcomed by Western and regional powers who say the country needs a fresh start with new candidates. The former French colony has been in chaos since Rajalina seized power with military support in 2009, ousting former President Mark Ravola Manana and scaring off investors and tourists. Rajalina and Ravalomanana had reached a deal with regional states to restore order based on the condition that neither of them would stand in future presidential elections. But when Ravalomanana's wife and Rajalina put their names forward, 
donors suspended financing and the AU threatened sanctions. Egyptian security forces have reportedly shot and killed a journalist. Meanwhile, Israel has warned that the fall of Egypt's interim government could signal the end of the peace treaty between the two countries. Mel Freitberg reports. Egyptian security forces in Damanhua killed the bureau chief of a provincial office of state newspaper Al-Aram on Monday after opening fire on a car they thought had tried to escape from a checkpoint enforcing a dusk-to-dawn curfew. It is thought to be a mistake as journalists are exempt from the curfew. Meanwhile, Israel is pushing the U.S. to support Egypt's interim military-backed government, saying its fall could destroy the peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. Israel has strong coordination with the Egyptian government and also tried to persuade Washington not to suspend aid to Egypt. The special representative of the UN Secretary-General in Somalia, Nicholas Kay, has expressed grave concern over allegations of rape at a military facility of AMISOM, the AU mission in Somalia. He has welcomed the announcements by the Somali government and AMISOM of the establishment of an investigation into the allegations of rape made against its soldiers in the Somali town of Mazla. Jerry Adams has more. It's important that any investigation is rigorous and prompt. I am encouraged by the president of Somalia's commitment to a zero-tolerance policy, says Special Representative Kay. If there is a case to answer, any perpetrators should be prosecuted and held fully accountable while basic rights are protected, he added. In addition, Mahamat Saleh Anadif, the special representative of the chairperson of the African Union Commission for Somalia, pointed out that AMISOM personnel are ambassadors of peace in Somalia and are expected to demonstrate the highest level of integrity. The South African Maritime Safety Authority will spend today investigating what options are the most viable to save the coal cargo ship Smart. Yesterday, the ship was forced into a sandbank during rough sea conditions while exiting the port at Richards Bay, north of the coastal town of Durban. The National Sea Rescue Institute was swift on the scene when the captain decided to abandon the ship. All 23 crew were rescued via helicopter. The Institute's Craig Lambanon. The South African Maritime Safety Authority are in attendance now, and they've begun their uh, preliminary investigations and investigations into uh, the salvage options that are now available. That's really now uh, going to be, obviously, the focus Today, although they already had plans uh, initiated late yesterday afternoon, and it's now in the hands of SAMHSA. Recapping the top stories this hour, Boko Haram's leader reportedly killed by Nigeria's military. Supporters of the wife of Madagascar's deposed leader threatened to protest against what they call an illegal court ruling barring her from running in this Friday's elections. And Egyptian security forces have reportedly shot and killed a journalist. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, welcome, welcome to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. Thank you to Tracy Boomgard there for that news update from the news desk. Of course, do remember that, as always, you're more than welcome to interact with us here on this show. You may do so via our fan page on Facebook, that is Channel Africa, or you can tweet us, that's at Channel Africa 1, and the hashtag there is African Dialogue, so that we're able to access your thoughts around all of these topics that we're going to be discussing on. Well, today, specifically, as we mentioned earlier, before that news update, we are talking all things food security on the continent today. Now, South African Deputy Minister for Agriculture, Peter Mulder, says with high and medium value, agricultural land lost to mining and urban development is equivalent to the size of the Kruger National Park. Now, the Kruger National Park is quite big, so that is indeed quite a significant part of land there that is lost to mining and urban development. Now, he says that this creates a significant decline in arable land for farming, which ultimately threatens food security. Now, Mulder was speaking at a symposium on genetically modified crops and food safety recently here in South Africa. However, we do realize that the threat to food security is not entirely exclusive to South Africa, as it, of course, extends to the rest of the African continent. And that's exactly what we we're going to be discussing today food security on the African continent. Now, before I go too much into the details around today's topic, I'd like to just give you the time now. It's just gone 10 minutes after 11. That is, of course, Central African time. And African Dialogue comes to you, remember, every Monday to Thursday. That is, of course, at 1100 hours Central African time. And with that, I think it's time for me now to introduce our guests who will be unpacking and, of course, giving us the expertise when it comes to today's particular topic. On the line, I, we do have Dora Mutakwa, who is um, who's from the Ministry of Agriculture and Livestock that is in Zambia. Miss um, Doria, how are you doing this morning? Dora, are you on the line? Uh, we also, I understand, we do have Dirk Ahanekom, who is the chairperson of Agri-SA Policy Committee that on Africa. Uh, Dirk, are you on the line? Yes, I am on the line. Good morning, Dirk, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's my pleasure. We also do have Dr. Lamudua Tsiomiano, who is uh, a form the FAO country representative in Ghana, but we'll be shortly getting him back on the line. We have lost him for a moment there. So at the moment, we've only got Dirk Hanekom on the line just to talk to us around food security issues. Um, but we will broaden our discussion a little later on with those delegates who will be joining us from Zambia and Ghana, respectively. Now, Dirk, Firstly, I mean, you've heard some of the remarks in our intro, as we mentioned, what the Deputy Minister of Agriculture, Peter Mulder, had made, uh, you know, making some alarming statements with regards to the amount of land which, uh, in essence, should be used, you know, to sort of assist in, uh, in, in farming and food security and whatnot. But that has, you know, gone towards mining as well as urban development. Now, just how much arable land has been lost in South Africa, you know, as the mine? 
mining and urbanization take place in the country and how does this impact on food security? Well, at the moment, I'm, <clears throat> I'm the chairperson of the, of the Africa Policy Committee, so when I speak about South Africa's issues, obviously, it's, uh, I, I learned from my colleagues. Uh, it's a vast amount. Um, I've, uh, just the, the opening of, of new coal mines in Malanga and Gauteng, uh, as, as a loss, I know, of 18% of our high value and high potential uh, and fertile land in South Africa. So that, that was really massive. And Grain Issa has estimated <coughs> that um, just the loss of that mining, la- uh, that, that mining land uh, as a potential to impact uh, up to 5% of the total uh, yields for grain in South Africa. So it is significant. But I think um, in this whole, if, if, you, if you want to extrapolate this, this discussion and argument to, also to Africa, it's extremely important that, <coughs> um, that there's, there's common platforms that where mining sits, that before any mining decision is made, that, uh, that all the other implications are carefully considered. I think that's where the concern lies, that uh, that part of the process is not comprehensively followed and not followed to the letter, uh, because obviously people see a, a lot of uh, advancement and they see uh, wealth creation and so on, but they forget about the negative impact on the environment and on, 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 uh, on areas like agriculture. Well, Dirk, we're going to be going deeper into some of those remarks which you've just made right now. But I do believe that on the line we do have Dora Mutakwa, who's from the Ministry of Agriculture and Livestock in Zambia. Dora, are you there? Dora? Good morning and thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa. Good morning, ma'am. Well, we also do have a Dr. Lamudria Tiomayano, who is with FAO Country Representative in Ghana. How are you, Doctor? Yes. Thank you for joining us this morning here on Channel Africa. Of course, as we discuss food security on the African continent here on African Dialogue. Now, before you both joined us, uh, we were talking to Dirk Ahanekom about some remarks which were made by the Deputy Minister of Agriculture in South Africa specifically, just talking about how much land has actually, how much land which would actually assist in terms of uh, contributing towards food security has in essence been used towards mining and urban development and a lot of things that are, are, are happening, you know, within South Africa specifically. Now I'm going to move to you, Dora. I'm going to ask you, you know, what the situation is like in Zambia in terms of the impact which mining and urban development has and the impact which it has um, ultimately on food security. Okay. Well, for Zambia, I should mention that most of the rural dwellers are concentrating on agriculture. So, and then the mining are also scattered around the country and are employing exclusively younger people. So when we talk about food security, we have two privileges that most of the rural dwellers never live in true agriculture. Then we have not we still have a lot of farmers participating in food security. As a country, I think we are privileged in that we have a program, uh, Farmer Support Input, 
We are most of the participants are farmers. We are organizers, farmer organizations, or art cooperatives. So these are the ones that are accessing inputs on a subsidized level, and they are able to go into production. We also have a lot of people that are living in the urban areas who also need to access sufficient food. So we still have to reach better levels where people can be fed to be food secure. Because food security has to do with having adequate food, which is nutritious, and is able to meet the dietary needs of all people in order to live healthy lives. At the same time, we know that mining is also providing jobs for most of the young people in this country. Now, Dr. Tsiomiano, you've heard, I mean, some of the remarks that are made uh, from a perspective uh, in South Africa and also in Zambia, of course, with Derkanakum, they are representing, you know, a committee on Africa as a continent. But what's the situation like in Ghana? I mean, we've heard uh, just now Dora Mutakwa telling us about, you know, mining as much as it does have a bit of a negative impact in terms of the land resource that is used. It does also, you know... Uh, provide jobs for young people as she was speaking. What's the situation like in Ghana? We seem to have lost Dr. Tsion Miyano there. We will be trying to get her back on the line. That brings the time now to 18 minutes after 11 here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. To you, Dorkanakom, as well as Dora Mutakwa, please do stay on the line. We'll be carrying on with our discussion after this. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Welcome back to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. My name is Zikona Misa and today on the show we are discussing food security on the African continent. We have representatives from among others Zambia, Ghana and of course Dirk Ghanakam is based in South Africa but represents the Agri-SA Policy Committee on Africa which will then give us a broader picture into how things are looking on that front. For you our loyal listener who'd like to also participate on this show, you may do so and you can interact with us via Facebook Facebook on our page there, or you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Channel Africa One, and you may use the hashtag African Dialogue so that we're able to get a sense of what you think around today's topic. Or if you're not too um, inclined with the social networks, you're more than welcome to also SMS your views to plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Now Dirk, I'm gonna go back to you. We've already spoken, you know, about the impact which uh in terms of the land and, and the availability of land for farming in order to um sort of feed into the food uh, security in the various countries. And of course we had Dora telling us the situation in Zambia and you also giving us a picture of the South African picture but also as you represent Africa there. Now we are aware of the fact that there are a lot of 
farmers, particularly from South Africa, who are on a big trek, uh, so to speak, to different African countries. Now, we do know that some of them have set anchor in places such as the DRC, uh, Mozambique, Malawi, Zambia, just to mention a few. Now, what are some of the reasons that these farmers, you know, are moving into other parts of the continent? What is it that South Africa is not really um, uh, catering for them in order for them to move to the other parts of the continent? Dirk, over to you. Nikona, there's a, <clears throat> it's a very good question because we are inundated by, by people that will, that will phone our office and tell, why are you sending South African farmers into Africa whilst we need them here? Are they scared about the political situation, uh, the, the fact that our, our land process is not completed and so on? Obviously, the situation in South Africa um, have an influence on decision-making, but there's a, a far more very easier <coughs> solution to this, and that is uh, farming is in uh, commercial farming is a business. And if you can make a business work uh, and you can realize specific profits and you can reduce your input costs, uh, you will go to places like we find now, and that is a dream of, of, of NEPAD, uh, where the companies are going like ShopRite Checkers and, and, and all these different uh, food chains into Africa with associated services and so on. They're expanding towards Africa because of new markets. And in, in terms of agriculture, you will see that South Africa has only, in terms of Southern Africa, only 6% of the, of the fertile uh, land potential of Southern Africa you'll find in South Africa. So our neighbors are richly endowed, but they, they lack uh, specific technical expertise and uh, farming and agricultural business expertise. And uh, we've been inundated by governments, uh, by institutions that, that came to see us and AgriSA invited us in, into their own countries and said, please help us to get commercial farming uh, on the go. And whilst doing this, help us to help our micro-farming networks to integrate into commercial farming practices. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, whilst we encourage people to, to farm spread leg, to pendle, and not to forget South Africa, because obviously this is where we come from, and we don't want to create food security issues over here, we must live the dream of Africa. And that is to promote inter-Africa trade. Agriculture and mining are both very, very important components of this. But the basic reason why people uh, are going into Africa is because they can make a better agricultural business elsewhere. Well, Dirk Anikom there telling us about those farmers, specifically from South Africa, who are really spreading their wings to the rest of the continent, uh, so to speak. Now, Dirk, in terms of when we talk food security, of course, we're not only necessarily talking about uh, commercial farming Also, I mean, it's, uh, most people would say it begins at home. When you're talking about food security, uh, the, the, the one person is thinking about, okay, what am I going to eat tonight? What am I going to do uh, uh, for, for myself tonight? What, in your view, needs to be done to sort of, uh, to sort of equip uh, people, not just in South Africa, but across the continent, you know, with the, the, the uh, skills to sort of um, assist themselves before, you know, we have your commercial farmers coming in with the, uh, the, the business-like um, approaches to this problem? That's a very good question, and it's a, it's, a, it's a hugely important one. You will find, if I can just relate uh, maybe our experiences, that the farmers go in without proper planning and think, yes, yeah, a fantastic fertile land, land, uh, water is close by, it's fertile soil, uh, 
the electricity is not far off, I've got a marketing plan, and they don't, they don't see the bigger picture of how many people I need in the area go to in terms of food. Um, the, 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 the more the human security picture and the responsibility of governments to provide, then they're doomed for failure. And uh, we learned that, and for that reason, when we, uh, we try at the moment to, 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 do, to give induction courses to our people going overseas. But the answer lies in terms of preparation, that you have a proper business plan that takes the full environment uh, into consideration and that the whole value chain of agriculture, and when I'm saying that, it is your input cost, how do you get your fertilizers, your seeds, the land properly prepared, do the farming part, and then the offset part, where does the, the value creation comes from in terms of who do you provide your product with, what associated business can you create by doing what you're doing, all those kind of things, agro-processing, that must be a full-planned uh, endeavor in five, ten, and, and longer terms even. And you start with the first part, which is to get the primary producer going. And you can't do that without realizing your social uh, political uh, responsibilities as well to help the local communities to bring them into your efforts. So it's a, it's a it's a hand in hand situation. The commercial farmers are not the uh, the do it all for 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 food security. Uh, micro farmers, uh, aspiring commercial farmers, and even people that is just uh, relying on agriculture to make a living and to survive are all part of this chain. Well, that is Dirk Anikumde. He is the chairperson of Agri-SA Policy Committee on Africa. Now I'm going to move over to Dora. Dora, there is this uh, this general, um, how do I say, opinion that um, agriculture is really considered one of those activities that one takes up after retirement or it's one of those jobs for the older generation to take care of. Now, uh, how can this mentality be changed? Or, I mean, what have you seen with the young people in your country in Zambia? Because uh, most young people, it's said that most of them don't really have an interest, you know, in the agricultural sector, which, of course, feeds into the food security of the continent as a whole. So what in, in, in Zambia, I mean, what's the situation like with the young people? Do you have young people taking an interest into issues of food security and, of course, the agricultural sector, so to speak? Or is it just like everybody thinks it is that, you know, agriculture is just one of those activities that are taken up once you've retired or it's for the older generation? What's, 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 the, 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 what's, what's the general consensus there in Zambia from the young people? Thank you so much. I, I think one of the emotions that should be is being marked for the young people is to look at farming as a business. Because the, the young people are dynamic and they want to do business which will give them returns very quickly. So the situation of looking at, at the agriculture as a last resort or as a retirement package, it's learning is building our way. Because if you look at the issue of Development of the small-scale farmers with the commercial farmers in the ventures, and then you go into value addition, it does provide those business opportunities. You find that when you look at specialized crops, um, high-value crops, these uh, commercial farmers can team up and work together through outgrower schemes, and that's where they'll be able to see value in the crops that they're growing. And the opportunity that we have as a country is the fact that we are land-linked. 
So the issues of markets being available is something that is coming up. Even in the issue of our staple crop maize, we have an opportunity because of being land that we've been able to go to our neighbors and find market for the same. So the young people are now changing their attitude in looking at agriculture more as a business, unlike before. Well, that is Dora Mutakwade, who is from the Ministry of Agriculture and Livestock in Zambia, talking about the young people in Zambia who are actually showing an interest, and I quote from her, into this particular sector. Today we're discussing food security here on uh, African Dialogue here. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and of course your gateway to Africa. Time has just gone 29 minutes after 11, and we will be carrying on with our discussion. Uh, Dora, as well as Dirk, please do stay on the line and Dr. Lamodi Etziomninano I do understand that you're also on the line we'll be chatting to you after the short break This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave internet and satellite from an African perspective listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Zikona Misa and this is African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, of course, today we are discussing all things food security around the continent. And I think to just give us a bit of a context as to exactly while the situation stands on the continent, we do have a little bit of a clip which will be able to give you a broader picture of exactly what is taking place. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Now, a survey conducted by South Africa's Human Sciences Research Council, that's the HSRC, has found that more than half of the country's population does not have regular access to enough food. Now, the South African National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey revealed that while 26% of the population experienced hunger, about 30% were living at the risk of being hungry. Now, the HSRC defines food security as access to food by all members of a household at all times to enough food for an active and healthy life. Now, the food trend status, particularly in South Africa, is classified under three sections. That's food secure, at risk of hunger, and experiencing hunger. The Council's Executive Director of Population Health Systems and Innovation, Professor Dimitri Labadaraso, uh, explains. We ask some simple questions, but they are very telling questions. In other words, we ask, do you ever run out of money to buy food? Which is important a question to know, unless, you know, people do run out of money to buy food, and we quantify that. Does one rely on a limited number of foods to feed the children, for instance, in the house because there is no money in the house? They skip meals because there isn't enough money to buy food. And these are the type of questions, these and other questions, is the type of questions that we ask. And according to the answers uh, that we got, if all the answers of the type that I explained were negative, then we consider those households 
and the members of the household to be food secure. And according to the number of questions that were positive in response, in a way, the findings of the survey, I suppose, underscore and confirm the general impression and the general feeling that a lot is being done, but perhaps not fast enough. That is where all effort needs to be put, especially in relation to food security, to accelerate the change that is taking place, or rather has taken place. That's the voice there of Professor Dimitri Labadarius, and he is, of course, the Executive Director of Population Health Systems and Innovations at South Africa's Human Science Research Council. Now, of course, we gave you that clip so you can get a sense of what it is exactly that we're talking about, because a lot of the issues that are dealt with there are not isolated to South Africa, as, of course, we've heard from our guests who are coming from different parts of the continent. Of course, Dirk Anakom was able to give us a bit of a rounded um, uh, 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 a rounded description of what the situation is like around the continent. Now, uh, Dr. Tsion Mianyo, are you there? I think we've lost the doctor. It's safe to say that our conversation with the doctor is just not happening today. But in any case, that does bring us to 25 minutes just before the top of the hour. But we carry on with our discussion here. Uh, Dirk, I'd like to bring you in here. I mean, we heard in that clip uh, the professor just talking about the uh, statistics that have been cited by the HSRC in terms of uh, food uh, security. You know, saying that the trend uh, status in South Africa are looked at with regards to food security, the risk of hunger, and people experiencing hunger. Earlier, you were telling us that um, the uh, the commercial farmers are not necessarily looking at the social political responsibility which they have towards food security. What, in your view, needs to be changed and needs to be done in order to change uh, that perspective which you were giving us so that it's all-inclusive and we can actually have that inter-Africa trade which you were talking about, making sure that everybody takes part in terms of their uh, responsibility socially uh, uh, around this particular issue? No, I actually suggested the contrary. I think the uh, the farmers, certainly commercial inf- uh, commercial farming, is uh, an organised agriculture. Is absolutely uh, involved and and do realise the importance of social upliftment and the the link to your communities, uh, and, and we organise for that as well. But we must understand it's not only the farmer on the farm that's responsible. The normally the farmer on the on his farm or on her farm. It takes the responsibility for for that produce or the specific crop that's being produced, and in the value chain that that person is creating or the farmer, uh, they only get between six and twelve percent back of that total value chain, and that goes outside in that value chain to to the the rest of the people in this value chain is is, uh, is sometimes forgotten. Uh, whether it is the the transport part, the packaging part, the the markets that it's going to, the agri-processing part, the redistribution of that, and <clears throat> all those institutions and, and, and entities are responsible in the social value plane with government. And uh, the, 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 the departure point from our point of view is if we allow uh, commercial farming to, to do its part to, to, to successfully commercially farm, the food prices will come down, the competition will be fair, but at the moment it's not, uh, it's not an easy situation for farmers. Uh, as you've seen uh, with, the, with, the, 
with the loan differences that has been in South Africa recently, that farmers are being asked to, to foot the bill, and all of the farmers, I promise you, have a heart to give, give their workers and support their workers and to, to increase salaries. But they can't be responsible for all of that. There's a lot of other people that, uh, that, that gains value from this value chain, and they must all be made responsible with government to, to make sure that the, the people doesn't go hungry, not only the farmer. Because in the end, if business does not, does not make sense and you can't make a profit at the end uh, of the day, everything will, will be in jeopardy. And that's exactly what happened in the case of, of the South African examples. We lost a lot of job opportunities and, 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 and certain farms just died out and couldn't make a profit anymore. And that's exactly where, <clears throat> where farming in Africa has become lucrative. If you compare the energy prices in a, in a country like Angola, for instance, with the diesel prices in South Africa, it's five, almost four times uh, lower than South Africa. The cost of land, uh, the, the, the input cost itself on that side, uh, taxation, import, uh, import tariffs and all those kind of things. If you add it all up, it is uh, how effective can you farm? That's that, that's the issue. But I agree with the statement that obviously uh, farmers, uh, when you're in a rural area specifically, and uh, that in South Africa we're certainly doing, uh, we part and part of, of that rural setup, and we must take some of the, uh, take up the responsibility to help with uh, uh, with poverty, fight against poverty, job creation, and all those things. Uh, we, that's what we're there for. That's what farming associations are there for. And in the end, the farmer will be more secure without a shadow of doubt. If, if people around him has got jobs, they're well fed and so on, it just makes sense. Okay, well, that's Dirk Anikom there. He is talking about everybody actually playing their part, saying that it's not only the role of commercial farmers to fulfill those social political responsibilities towards ensuring food security there. Now, Dora, I'd like to uh, move to you. Um, in terms of, I mean, the development uh, for agriculture and education and training so that everybody can be responsible for themselves, like Dirk was saying, that it's not only the commercial farmers that are playing their role when it comes to issues of food security. What is it that the government there in Zambia is doing in terms of um, agricultural uh, development as well as education and training for the people so that there is no dependency? Yes, I think in Zambia, uh, the government has put in place the policy and as a ministry, one of the responsibilities is actually that the companies that are in the, in the document. There is also in place the farmers' organization, like the Zambia Mission Farmers' Union, where the farmers are affiliated to, and then we have the Zambia Cooperative Federation, where the farmers' uh, cooperatives are also affiliated to. I agree, yes, it's very important for the value chain partners to be in partnership and also in dialogue so that they can be able to, to market their produce. When you have the stakeholders participating, you find that the, the, the production and the productivity of the agriculture sector is enhanced. <coughs> when you look, I want to just take an example of the, the Petri Association, where it has also been put in place, and we have a number of uh, commodities that have been uh, promoted. So you find that they are able to talk on the spot and bring out some of the questions. This is what make, makes, makes agriculture go ahead. And like before where you produce, swallow the produce, 
but I'm not very sure of where those markets are produced. But when you take the value chain approach, it's actually working well. All we need is that we have to build capacity so that information is made available to the farmers and they're able to access each other and draw out and iron out any constraints that may arise therein. The government being placed to ensure that the whole process is facilitating well. Well, that is Dora Mutako there talking about some of the strides that are being made by the Zimbabwe, I mean Zambian rather, Zambian government with regards to food security in that part of the continent and of course what they're doing in terms of development for agriculture and education and training for the people of Zambia around issues of food security. You're still tuned into African Dialogue here on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance my name is Zikona Miso and we're discussing food security on the African continent. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday. That's at 1100 hours Central African time. And of course, as always, you're welcome to interact with us via Facebook. That is on our fan page, Channel Africa. If you search for it, you'll definitely find us on there. Or you can always go to Twitter. That's at Channel Africa 1, hashtag African Dialogue. Or just simply SMS us to plus 27823253205905. And unfortunately, as always we really get into these topics that we discuss here on african dialogue and unfortunately time is always fighting against us as it's always not on our side we do have a couple of minutes though with our guest just before we close today's discussion and move on to what's happening in our economics so i'm just going to give dirk a chance to just have your closing remarks around this particular topic which we're discussing on today and i mean moving forward in future what would you what would in your view needs to be done in order to advance in all the different uh, spheres that we've mentioned and ensure that there is indeed food security on the African continent? I think, Zikona, uh, the, the answer lies in, uh, in, in proper cooperation. We mustn't expect uh, that government must do everything for us. I think it's also in the creation of bottom-up strategies and, and, and examples that can work. You don't need to do the big thing first. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a question I, I, I uh, by means of summary, I uh, want to use the, the example of ladder. If you want to do pr- proper farming and so on, a ladder needs a, a solid foothold. But you must lean a ladder against something to get to reach to the top to, to pick the fruits. And uh, the solid uh, base lies in proper cooperation on ground level between the farming community and all those interest holders. And then the different uh, little steps in that ladder ladder from the top or the bottom will take you where you meet one another and with a with a with a side will provide by by a ladder to get to the fruits you add your values in the in the in, in the value chain or your partners in the value chain and therefore you can reach together the fruits of, of this effort whether you're in mining whether you in processing whether you're in agriculture we need to put this on the table and get a balanced approach approach food security is, is beyond uh, negotiation we just need to do it because people in south africa for instance that gets uh, annoyed with service delivery if you if you leave them hungry as well uh, it leaves us all all uh, worse off at the end of it uh, we have to work together well, that's the voice there of uh, Dirk Ghanekom, who's the chairperson of the Agri-SA Policy Committee 
on Africa. And unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of time to go back to Dora. But we'd also like to take this time to thank um, our two guests for joining us today. And we do acknowledge that Dr. Lamudia Tiominano did try to actually engage with us today. But unfortunately, those lines were just keeping on cutting. And unfortunately, we couldn't get through uh, to her to get her sentiments around this issue we were discussing today. Well, thank you very much to you, our guests. Thank you for joining us and giving us clarity and also for your time. We do appreciate it here on Channel Africa. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, those were our guests, Dora Mutakwa, who is from the Ministry of Agriculture and Livestock in Zambia, as well as Dirk Anikom, chairperson of Agri-SA Policy Committee on Africa, talking to us about food security on the African continent. Dirk Anikom's last words there saying that there needs to be a balanced approach to uh, food security on the African continent, saying that it's not only the role of the commercial farmers to make sure that they fulfill their social political responsibilities around this particular issue. Well, with that, it's 15 minutes before the top of the hour, and it's now time for us to check what's happening in our economics with Tabiso Lihoko. China has invested over $21 billion in Africa. The Chinese government has also pledged another $20 billion for the continent over the next three years for the development of agriculture, infrastructure and manufacturing industries. Mazehua, acting chairperson for China BRICS Business Council, says Africa should in turn provide a favorable environment for trade and investment to take place. Zehua has been addressing thousands of business delegates attending the last leg of the BRICS Business Council meeting in Johannesburg. Over 30 Chinese delegates representing various industries also attended the two-day meeting. Kenya is headed to become the first oil explorer in East Africa, cutting reliance on foreign energy suppliers such as Royal Dutch Shell. After Talo Oil discovered oil last year, Kenya is set to start shipments in 2016, overtaking neighboring Uganda, where Talo found a crude more than seven years ago. The UK explorer plans to start pumping in Kenya as soon as next year. Kenya's oil deposits are estimated at $10 billion, more than three times that of Britain's remaining reserves. Exports will underpin Kenya's shilling currency and are being pushed by a government that wants a lead on Uganda and DRC, whose East African resources in recent years attracted explorers such as China's CNWC and France's Total. Africa's biggest grocer, ShopRite, has missed forecasts with an 11% rise in full-year profit. The retailer has been hit by slower spending in its core South African market. Cape Town-based ShopRite says headline earnings per share totaled $6 in the year to end June, below a $6.2 estimate in a rater's poll of 11 analysts. Sales rose at 12% to $9.11 billion. Companies from Angola, Ghana, Namibia, Nigeria, South Africa, Brazil and Portugal showcased their agro-business and construction products and services at the Expo Hulia Trade Fair that took place in Angola, Hulia province. The trade fair made about $3.5 million in sales. A correspondent, Phil Mello, reports in Luanda, Angola. Over 200 exhibitors from the Angolan province of Wila, the host, 
Bengela, Namibi, Wambu and Kunene and from foreign countries like Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa, Namibia, Portugal and Brazil were able to sell and buy their goods in the five-day event. The chairman of Lubangus Farming Commercial and Industrial Association, Antonio de Lemos, said that the local business people wished to organize a regular and improved exhibition of national and foreign productions. South African government support for female-run business operations has come under the spotlight. This after statistics showed an estimated 126 million women were running new businesses in 67 economies around the world. These statistics form part of the 2012 Global Entrepreneurship Monitor Women's Report. Kukum Chatu, Executive General Manager at Specialist Risk Finance Company, says stakeholders need to make the funding of women a priority. On our applications, 25% of them come from women, but we approved over 40% of those applications. So I think all other stakeholders need to prioritize women. We have policies in place, but they are not implemented as they should. And also the support that's given to women is fragmented, so it makes it not useful. So it's important that we integrate the services that are given to women so that they're able to find one-stop shops where they can receive all the support that they require. And finally, Qatar has sent its second tanker this month of liquefied natural gas to Egypt. The North African country is struggling to cover its energy needs. Doha agreed in June to supply Egypt with surface or suffers frequent power cuts, with five shipments to cover some of its need, which increase during hot summer. The total amount agreed has not been revealed. Traders say the shipments will only cover some of the gap in supply to Egypt, which has borrowed billions of dollars from abroad and delayed payments to oil companies and other suppliers. The cargoes from Qatar will help Egypt meet demand for its exports, helping Cairo channel more gas to the domestic market. The U.S. dollar trades at 10.20 South African Rand, 8.67 Botswana Pulas, 5.25 Zambian Guachas. It's also trading at 0.68 to the pound, at 0.77 to the euro. Looking at commodities market now, gold trades at $1,362 platinum, $1,508 an ounce. Brand to crude oil, $110.75 a barrel. Economic subject. Well, thank you, Tabi. So for that economics update, time now for our sports update with Figile Lingwati. Now, sports update this hour, starting off with boxing news. Boxing South Africa, BSA, says they are concerned about the provisional suspension handed out to South African National Amateur Boxing Organization, Sanabo. The world's boxing governing body, AIBA, has suspended Sanabo for alleging that South African Sports Confederation and Olympic Committee, SASCOC, has interfered with the elections for the new executive committee in December last year. PSA Deputy Chairman Peter Ngatani says they believe the impasse will be resolved soon. 
Well, it is a cause of concern on the basis that um, the amateurs are a feeder to the uh, to the professional uh, uh, boxing uh, wing of of the sport. Now, um, for boxers to be proficient, they need both national and, and international experiences so that they can be good uh, professionals. Even though most of them, we don't have them having had international experiences, but I think that it's, it's always necessary to have a top-notch uh, thing. Now, if they are suspended, then it raises some concerns. But I do believe uh, that um, uh, uh, Saskok and Sanabo are addressing the matter, and I think this matter will be, will be resolved. Ngatane says the AIBA itself is not innocent regarding the affairs of boxing globally. AIBA itself is not innocent of uh, all this whole process because if you look at the rules and regulations of, uh, of, bo- of boxing, amateur boxing is totally different from professional boxing as compared to when you speak of soccer, cricket and things. There's a seamless trans- a transition from amateur to professional. But with boxing, AIBA has changed certain rules and things. You find a guy who's an Olympian or something coming into the professional, they have to probably start to relearn the whole process of professional boxing because AIBA has changed. On to athletics, Stephen Kiplutich arrived back home on Monday to a loading welcome from government officials and supporters after his surprise gold medal win at the just-concluded IAAF World Championships in Moscow, Russia. The Ugandan won the medal in the marathon, which also was Uganda's only medal win at the global showpiece. Kiprotich also won the gold medal in the Olympic marathon in London last year and becomes the second athlete to win back-to-back gold medals in both in the Olympics and the World Championships. Kiprotich says he has dreamed of this moment. To me, it means that uh, I'm now uh, a legend of what I've been dreaming of, my championship and uh, Olympic champions. And also, uh, now I'm no longer the same person I used to be before. Uh, like, uh, as far as sports is concerned, I'm now in the books of IAAF, of which it will remain there for good, and I'm happy about it. However, Kipritish has ruled himself out of the upcoming Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, Scotland next year. The 24-year-old athlete says he will focus on the next two Olympic Games. I'm not sure because now uh, after Olympics and championship, I don't think I can make it, but uh, other competitions I will be coming up. Uh, actually, my focus is uh, I'm focusing 2020 Olympics. So it means uh, I will be preparing from now until 2020. When I say 2020, it means 2016 is very near. I'm ready for 2016 and my focus is 2020 Olympics. And if, if possible, maybe 2024, you may never know. And that's your Sport News this hour. Well, thank you to Figile Lingwati for the sports update. Definitely that Stephen Kipro teach guy really sounds like somebody who's very determined. Not only looking forward to the 2016, he says he's ready already for the 2016, saying that now he is focusing on 2020 and maybe 2024. Yeah.
some people are really, really driven. Well, with that, it does bring us to the end of this installment of African Dialogue. We'd like to once again thank our guests for joining us today and shedding some light on today's topic as we were discussing food security on the continent. That's the dialogue never stops here. Be sure to still communicate your views with us this on Facebook or on Twitter at Channel Africa 1, hashtag African Dialogue, or SMS us to plus 27823 Do remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Well, from me, Zikana Muso, it's adios until tomorrow. Next up is Africa Midday with Benjamin Mushadama.